Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, January 28th. I'm Andrea Linares, and these are today's headlines. Pressure growing on Senate Republicans to hear testimony from former National Security Advisor John Bolton as the president's Senate trial continues. The United States now finalizing plans to evacuate diplomatic personnel and even private citizens from Wuhan, China, as the coronavirus outbreak worsens. The death toll now at least 106. And as authorities continue investigating the tragic helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant and eight others, we'll take a look at the NBA legend's special relationship with the Latino community. This and much more today on You News, recorded live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with the Senate impeachment trial of President Trump and the growing push to hear new witness testimony. This comes after new revelations from former National Security Advisor John Bolton, who appears to undermine President Trump and his lawyers. Team Trump starting day three of opening arguments. Here's the latest. The president's legal team for the first time addressing those explosive allegations that the president explicitly tied military aid to Ukraine to investigations into his rivals and brushing them off. There was no connection between security assistance and investigations. The claim that One of the president's lawyers, Harvard professor Alan Dershowitz, pushing back after Trump's former national motives. security advisor John Bolton, reportedly wrote in his upcoming book that the president told him directly he was holding nearly $400 million in aid from Ukraine until they agreed to investigate the president's political rivals. But Dershowitz says... Even if true, it's not impeachable. Nothing in the Bolton revelations, even if true, would rise to the level of an abuse of power or an impeachable offense. That is clear from the history. That is clear from the language of the Constitution. The House managers talked about the Bidens of Burisma 400 times, but they never gave you the full picture. Democrats, on the other hand, calling these arguments a distraction. This is clearly an attempt to uh, feed red meat to their base, but also red herrings to take us away from the central issue. But some key Republicans suggest they do want to hear from Bolton. I think it's uh, increasingly likely uh, that other Republicans will uh, will join those of us who think we should hear from John Bolton. And, and other GOP members say the case needs to be dismissed. But at the end of the day, it doesn't impact the legal issue before this Senate. A White House official says President Trump has watched parts of this trial and has been pleased at the performance of his legal team. Now, in regards to what happens next, senators will begin a 16-hour question and answer period tomorrow. And after that, there will be four hours of debate. Now, the Senate is poised to debate whether to subpoena witnesses on or around Friday. If the vote fails, the Senate could vote to acquit President Trump then. Otherwise, this trial will continue. Meanwhile, President Trump unveiled his plan to bring peace to the Middle East alongside Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Pablo Gato is in Washington, D.C. with the latest details on this. Pablo, what did the president say today? Well, many American presidents uh, for decades have been trying to reach a Middle East peace plan done 
uh, unsuccessfully. President Trump has been saying for years that uh, he would be the one who would get it done. And in fact, uh, he said that would be the deal of the century. And today he presented his plan in the White House. And basically, it allows Israel to keep uh, the settlements in the West Bank and keep also most of the Jordan Valley. President Trump said that this is an opportunity for peace. Let's listen to what he said. That is why our proposal provides precise technical solutions to make Israelis, Palestinians, and the region safer and much more prosperous. My vision presents a win-win opportunity for both sides, a realistic two-state solution that resolves the risk of Palestinian statehood to Israel's security. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was also present in the ceremony. And we have to point out uh, that uh, the Palestinians would not get automatically the statehood, but would be conditional for a period of three years. Let's listen to what Benjamin Netanyahu said. You became the first world leader to recognize Israel's sovereignty over areas in Judea and Samaria that are vital to our security and central to our heritage. Now, President Trump also said that we will see if this plan catches hold. If it does, if it does, that's okay. And if it doesn't, it's okay too. So obviously he didn't get uh, feedback from the Palestinians. And in fact, the Palestinians or many Palestinian leaders said that they are not okay with this plan. They said that they lose land, even if uh, Israel gives uh, also in exchange land in the Negev desert to compensate for these lands. Uh, but they say that they don't like uh, this plan. And also they don't like the fact that they don't get automatic uh, statehood. And in fact, there were already demonstrations in Gaza. Uh, thousands of people were demonstrating uh, they burned uh, pictures of President Trump and pictures of Benjamin Netanyahu. They said that that would mean uh, surrender to accept this plan. And they also said that Palestine is not for sale. So as we know, for decades, uh, this issue has been uh, trying to be solved. But uh, this shows how difficult it is to get this done. It's a difficult process indeed. Thanks so much, Pablo Gato, reporting from Washington, D.C. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan, an investigation is underway after a U.S. military aircraft crashed in the Ghazani province Monday. A U.S. defense official says the United States has already recovered the remains of the only two people aboard the Air Force E-11A electronic surveillance aircraft when it went down. Images from the crash site show smoke rising from the charred airplane that came to rest in the snow. While the cause of the crash is being investigated, the U.S. military says there is no indication that the plane was downed by enemy fire. And in other D.C. news, after Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had a heated confrontation with an NPR reporter over the weekend, the U.S. State Department then removed the public broadcaster from the press pool for Pompeo's upcoming trip to Europe. A statement Monday from the State Department Correspondents Association calls this decision retaliation. It means NPR's Michelle Kellerman cannot be on Pompeo's plane during his trip to Ukraine and other countries. Pompeo criticized NPR host Mary Louise Kelly in a statement Saturday. He says she included off-the-record content in her recent reporting on him, and that's after he allegedly swore at her following an interview and forced her to find Ukraine on an unmarked map, which she promptly did. Kelly says he never told her the exchange was off the record.
Now to the latest on the helicopter crash that killed basketball legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others. The NBA and WNBA sharing tributes. Kobe was a huge supporter of women's basketball. The memorial is also growing at Kobe's longtime professional home, the Staples Center into Los Angeles, where he played with the Lakers. Carolina Sarasa has the latest on this investigation into what caused the fatal accident. The NTSB on the ground investigating the circumstances surrounding the helicopter crash that killed NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others, saying weather is just one of the many potential factors that may have contributed to this tragic accident. At 9.06 a.m., the helicopter left an Orange County airport and headed to a basketball game in Thousand Oaks. At 9.44, eyewitnesses report hearing a helicopter flying very low. Air traffic controllers informed the pilot they cannot detect him on radar. Two Echo X-ray, you're uh, still too low level uh, for uh, flight following at this time. Investigators say the helicopter was not equipped with a black box, which is not required for helicopters, but an iPad was found amongst the wreckage, which they believe was used for weather updates and flight planning and tracking. Well, we haven't obtained the iPad yet. We know there was an iPad with four flight on it. There were other electronics on board. Uh, that we're looking for in the wreckage. One witness to Sunday's crash called 911 after hearing a big sound, saying the fog was thick as milk at the time. I can't see anything. If I couldn't see it, and I'm looking directly up at it, he, he's not going to be able to see anything in, on the ground. The L.A. County Coroner's Special Operations Response Team resuming their search Monday on this Calabasas mountainside to recover the victims. Bryant, a devoted family man, spoke about flying on helicopters as his preferred mode of transport in a December 2018 interview with Barstool Sports, saying it allowed him to spend more time with his daughters. Traffic started getting really, really bad. Right. And I was sitting in traffic and I wound up missing like a school play because mm -hmm. I was sitting in traffic and this, this thing just kept mounting. And I had to figure out a way where I could still train and focus on the craft, but still not compromise family time. Mm. Overnight, LeBron James speaking out for the first time since the accident, calling Brian his big bro, writing, I promise you I will continue your legacy. You mean so much to us all here, especially Laker Nation. Until we meet again, my brother. And his former teammate, Shaquille O'Neal, mourning the loss on his podcast. I'm not doing well. I'm sick. I'm just getting over the death of my sister. When I saw Kobe and his daughters, loved them. He saw my kids, loved them. If you look at my kids' uh, Instagram, he talked to Sharif yesterday morning. And I love Kobe Bryant. I'm the first to say, hey, I got four rings, and I know I couldn't have got three without him. The only thing that saddens me is he's not going to be here when he walks into the Hall of Fame. Then Jimmy Kimmel talking straight into the camera without an audience, honoring his beloved friend Monday night, who appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live 15 times, his last appearance in September. There's no silver lining here. It's all, it's all bad. It's all sad. He was uh, a bright light, and that's how I want to remember him. Carolina Sarasa, U News. Kobe Bryant had an especially close relationship with the Hispanic community, particularly in Los Angeles. Vanessa, his Mexican-American wife, inspired him to learn Spanish and fall in love with Mexican cuisine, which they enjoyed in restaurants around that city. Dulce Casellano spoke with some of his fans, as well as the restaurant workers who served him. Los fans uh, latino, porque esos fans eran los fans que me abrazaron más. 
Upon his arrival in Los Angeles, Kobe Bryant says he was embraced by his Latino fans who faithfully followed his incomparable trajectory. And now that same community has been mourning his sudden departure. My daughters play basketball and they admired him, says this fan. The basketball superstar has special ties to the Hispanic community. His widow is Mexican-American, who he used to call Mamacita on social media. Tenía mucha influencia para la comunidad latina. Um, hablaba perfecto español con it was not unusual to hear Kobe speak Spanish in this interview he shared how he learned the language watching telenovelas in Sábado Gigante with Vanessa and his mother-in-law his affection for Mexican culture was also embodied in these sneakers inspired by a Mexican poncho taste for Mexican food was known at this Mexican restaurant in Fullerton, California, where the employees say he visited for almost 20 years. Lo que más le gustaba, Kobe. He would sit there and his favorite food was the carnitas en carne asada, tostadas or sopes, he said. This cashier says the Bryant family would often take big orders back to their luxurious home in Newport Coast. La última vez que llevaron comida. The last time they placed an order was in December. They ordered tamales and sopes, she said. They say they will always hold the photographs they took with him very closely. His passion for sports went beyond basketball. Kobe was also a close follower of Mexican soccer and had just welcomed Chicharito Hernandez to Los Angeles, a city where he now leaves an unforgettable legacy. In Los Angeles, Dulce Castellanos, U News. Concerns over the coronavirus are growing worldwide. This as the number of deaths and infected people rise. Lorraine Gassides has the latest on the worsening outbreak. The coronavirus is spreading rapidly as health authorities around the world battle to contain it. So far, official numbers worldwide report 106 have died. In the city of Wuhan, the epicenter of the disease, hospitals are crowded. Emergency workers wearing masks and protective gear as they treat patients. Chinese state media releasing a time-lapse video of a new hospital under construction to deal with the crisis, as different countries make plans to evacuate their citizens. I sign up and then I get the call at four and now I'm trying to scramble my way to get into a car at two in the morning to get to the, to the airport Tomorrow. by like at least six, five or six. Those who choose to stay taking the necessary precautions to avoid getting sick. We're in just kind of basic uh, precaution mode of not going outside, not, not going to interacting with, with people very closely. The U.S. has confirmed its first five cases, and officials are investigating at least 110 possible cases across 26 states. The Houston Bush Airport and 19 other airports activating their quarantine facilities for passengers from China. San Francisco activating its emergency operating center, even though no cases have been confirmed there. Health authorities are sounding the alarm, warning that we are not ready to face a pandemic. No health department in the U.S. is adequately funded to meet the needs of a sustained long-term uh, increased surge that a large-scale pandemic would require. So what that means is um, emergency funding would need to become available uh, just in time to sustain those types of um, responses. Fear of getting sick is growing among people across the country. In Madison, Wisconsin's face masks are out of stock. Meanwhile, cities like Pittsburgh getting ready to help China. I think over the next two days, 
uh, we should be able to have a care package that has been put together. Now, so far, 4,610 people are infected and 106 have died. Health officials in China are concerned that the virus might be transmittable for up to 14 days after exposure, even if the carrier isn't yet showing symptoms. Now, there is no concrete evidence of that yet, but authorities are working to determine if it's the case or not. And for more on how the coronavirus is impacting those in China, let's go to Oscar Margain. He's a journalist based in Beijing. Thanks so much for being with us today, Oscar. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So tell us about what measures authorities have taken to limit the spread of coronavirus in the capital city. Is Beijing on lockdown? Not locked down on uh, yet, just yet, but it almost feels like it because the city uh, feels like it's just empty. And so there's been several measures that the city uh, and the government has uh, taken to, you know, try to avoid people spreading any sort of germs. And, and, and if they have coronavirus, to not spread coronavirus. Uh, some of the measures that they've been taking is uh, limiting, you know, public transport that goes outside of the city. Uh, also, they've been closing some of the popular tourist destinations, uh, parks, uh, some of the malls, uh, movie theaters, etc. And they're also keeping uh, people, basically uh, encouraging them to stay at home. Uh, that That's the, the recommendation here. Uh, you know, the uh, Spring Festival or the Lunar New Year, uh, and those festivities are coming to an end here uh, by the end of this week. And authorities also have taken the measure of asking people to stay indoors, especially their kids, for the next uh, at least two weeks and maybe just indefinitely until they get a good, good grasp on this whole issue. They just basically don't want to have people out outside and getting close contact with, with others because, as you know, Beijing is you know, a, a city of a population of 22 million. And so there, it's just a lot of people and it's a very dense, dense city. So they're trying to avoid people basically uh, getting infected or contaminated. Now, we were looking at images, a video that you actually shot. I mean, it's shocking to see it like basically a ghost town, an empty city. How does it feel to be there right now? I mean, what are people saying? How is the morale? Well, as far as morale, people are concerned, obviously. I mean, my coworkers, my friends, everybody's worried about what what's happening and what's going to happen next. Uh, you know, we hear that things might have to get worse before they get better. And and yes, I mean, the images that you're seeing right now, this is Beijing as, you know, as I never imagined it to be. It's basically like a post-apocalyptic world um, because there's hardly a soul out in downtown Beijing when it's usually is hustle and bustle and, you know, a lot of people out there, you know. Uh, the Chinese really like to be outdoors and outside, and and uh, but it's just so eerie to see, you know, the, the city so empty. And it's for two reasons, again, because a lot of people have traveled outside to go visit family during this calendar or the, the Lunar New Year. And the other reason, again, is, is authorities emphasizing those who have stayed behind to stay indoors and stay at home. You're a journalist there. Is the Chinese government being forthcoming with information in regards to this virus? That's a really good question. I mean, there's a lot of doubt and always a lot of speculation as to the official numbers. The uh, The government here has, you know, obviously an estimate of potential 
people that may be contaminated. But of course, we really don't know for sure. And so uh, the problem here, especially with us in the expat community here in Beijing, is that we feel like we don't have an, a reliable source of information, especially when it comes to the everyday changes in, in laws or, or the measures that they're taking in the city. We're finding out through maybe one website or maybe our neighbor or our friend and so this is just adding to the anxiety of people here to not really know exactly what's happening. We know the official, the overall arching information, the, uh, the basic things about the coronavirus, the people infected, and what you need to do. But in terms of the day-to-day -day changes and, and the measures that they're taking, um, you, you don't know if you're getting the, the right information from the right source. And that's a problem. I've asked you about how the people are feeling, but how about yourself? I mean, are you concerned? Do you want to just fly back to the U.S.? You know, that that thought has crossed my mind. Uh, fortunately, here in Beijing, things are not as dire as they are in Wuhan. From what I hear, of course, I haven't been to Wuhan. But, uh, you know, that's that's I'm thinking about the possibility. But it's not an option yet. Uh, if things really do get out of hand here in the city, then uh, we're going to have to, me and my family, really think about this uh, very hard and, and have a contingency plan, of course. Well, thanks so much, Oscar, for your time, for speaking with us today. And of course, please take care of yourself and also your loved ones. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. Your News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Speaking from Canada, Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido said his country is, quote, going through a kind of war with refugee flows within the country on a par with Syria. Guaido said five million Venezuelans had fled their homes to escape the country's economic collapse. He thanked Canada and other members of the so-called Lima group of countries for what he called their enormous efforts in support of his cause against the government of Nicolás Maduro. Meanwhile, in Central America, the presidents of Guatemala and El Salvador on Monday said their governments were working towards facilitating the free movement of people and goods across their mutual borders. Visiting El Salvador for the first time since taking office earlier this month, Guatemala's president, Alejandro Giamate, said the changes would become reality in the coming months. The two leaders also decided to allow all air operations between their countries to be considered local or domestic. And in Havana, thousands of university students marched in a torch-lit parade on Monday night, led by top Cuban officials, including President Miguel Díaz-Canel and Communist Party leader Raúl Castro in a show of pride for their country's socialist system. Organizers were also commemorating the 167th anniversary of the birth of independence hero José Martín. Marchers waved flags and banners supporting the revolution and held 
thousands of torches while rallying on the steps of the University of Havana. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.